Welcome to Keeping Secrets. I'm Veer Koto. Keeping Secrets is a web series produced by Dating Kinky about the intersection of kink and privacy. In this series, we'll be talking about the hidden dangers, hidden allies, and practical steps you can take to protect yourself and your community. We give you the information and tools to make informed decisions that are right for you. These webinars are recorded live and then released as a podcast. So if you're interested in participating and you're comfortable sharing, you can join us for questions, just like these amazing people are here tonight. Um, I, again, am your host, Vir Koto. I'm a geek, a kinkster, and a privacy advocate. You can check out my very outdated website at virkoto.com. You can email me directly at vir at virkoto.com, or I'm on FetLife as virkoto, all one word. The opinions expressed in this series are my own. Your mileage may vary. Consult your doctor if after taking my advice, you have an erection that lasts more than four hours. So here we are. Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court in a case called Dobbs versus Jackson. In all honesty, uh, even though this was a month ago, I'm still feeling the effects. And I think we all are. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has overturned an essential reproductive right. But isn't this a series about privacy? Maybe you're asking, and it is. It is a series about privacy. And usually at this point, I talk about the issue of outing. Um, and um, I'll talk about how someone famous or someone well-known or in a you know, sensitive career was outed and how if you're outed, you know, bad things can happen to you. Like um, your family can disown you and your children could be taken away, you know, if anyone finds out that you're kinky. And all of that is true, all of it. Um, but tonight uh, we're going to talk, we're going to start somewhere more fundamental, which is why do we care about any of this privacy stuff anyway? Um, and there's this amazing quote, and I don't know the author, um, but the quote goes, I need privacy, not because my actions are questionable, but because your judgment and intentions are. And we don't need privacy because of ourselves. We need privacy because of others. We aren't hiding because we have some kind of internalized hatred, but because we know that there are other people out there who hold power over us. And those people are the ones we need to be careful about. Relatedly, there's another quote. Law must never be taken as gospel. Today's law may become tomorrow's crime. Today's crime may become tomorrow's law. And uh, these words ring in my ear because on June 23rd, 2022, abortion was legal. And on the next day, June 24th, 2022, abortion became illegal in 13 U.S. states and now, a little uh, over a month later, it's illegal in 19 states. We talk about Roe v. Wade as a ruling about reproductive rights and abortion, but really, privacy was at the center of this ruling. The privacy between someone and their doctor. This ruling was based on the 14th Amendment, which we think of as relating to slavery but it was used as the basis in the original Roe, way, uh, Roe ruling to build a foundation of privacy. 
um, for American citizens. And a lot of society, or at least a lot of healthy society, hangs on this idea of privacy. A Supreme Court ruling less well known than Roe v. Wade is Griswold versus Connecticut. And this ruling set in place a key notion of privacy and or notions of privacy that are at the core of many legal protections in the United States regarding reproductive rights and sexuality, um, uh, protections for using or access to contraceptives, um, protections that got rid of the so-called sodomy laws and other basic legal protections over privacy. Um, and those are under threat. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been the most outspoken on these issues. And he has said explicitly that he would like to quote, reconsider previous cases regarding right to our right to privacy, our rights to reproductive freedoms and gay rights. And right now with a conservative majority on the US Supreme Court, the court may indeed use this opportunity to change the legal landscape in the United States, dragging it back more than 50 years into the past and taking it out of step with most of the Western world and frankly, out of step with the American people as a whole. And that's really what we're dealing with. And that's why we need to care about privacy. So let's talk about something creepy. Um, this is a photo of a state farm agent taking pictures of cars in a parking lot. And uh, it's, a, it's a parking lot of a reproductive health center. And this is really scary and it scares me. Um, but if this were the only extent to which the anti-abortionists, you know, the, uh, the forced, um, forced pregnancy folks were going, that would be a lot less scary than what they're really doing. Law enforcement, instead of taking photos of cars in parking lots, they're using the snitch you already have in your pocket. The one that knows who you are, who your friends are, where you've been, what you do, who's around you, when you go to work, when you go to sleep, what you buy, and what your fantasies are. And that's your phone. Your phone contains an enormous amount of information about you. And in many cases, the manufacturer and the app developers, they sell that information about you for not very much money, both to government and to commercial data brokers. And uh, one of the common responses to my privacy concerns is that I'm is that people say, "Oh, you're just talking about theoretical threats," and and these aren't these aren't real threats. Um, and the fact is that the U.S. government has shown that it is happy to purchase data from data brokers when they feel it suits them. And that's because of something called the Fourth Amendment loophole. Americans may be aware of the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. And the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution states that as Americans, we're free from government spying on us without a warrant. It actually says, and I'll quote you, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. 
and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Unfortunately, the government has used a loophole in the Constitution. Instead of spying on its citizenry, it buys data from those who do, who do and such as cell phone companies, Google, and professional data brokers. This way, by purchasing the data and not directly spying on citizenry, they're not violating the Constitution directly, but they are able to get an enormous amount of information about us. And we know that government agencies are buying and using this information because it's come up in court cases and in Freedom of Information Act requests. So we know this isn't a theoretical problem. This is a real situation. For example, we know that ICE, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency, was buying consumer data from Coinbase, a cryptocurrency company that uh, had an app on your phone. And that information that they collected included location data on its users. So if you were a cryptocurrency uh, app user using Coinbase, Coinbase was collecting where you were when you were using its app. And then they were selling that data to the Immigration Enforcement Agency. And I'm sorry, Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. And we know that both ICE and Customs and Border Patrol purchased cell phone location data in 2020. So they got it from apps and they got it directly from, cell, um, from mobile companies. So again, these are not theoretical threats. I'm not talking about the sky is falling in some theoretical world, but real actual threats. Because going back to the start of the presentation, it's not about what you do but about what others, especially others in power, and what they do. And it's also important to recognize that in the states where abortion is now illegal, it's often being classified as murder. And that means that everyone involved is a potential criminal, from the pregnant individual to the doctor, and even someone who helps just drive them across state lines or drives them to an abortion center, or even potentially someone who helps distribute information on how to get safe abortions. And while it's so uncertain how many of these laws will pass judicial scrutiny, in the meantime, it means that abortion is considered a capital crime in many states, and that law enforcement can and is using all available information at their disposal to investigate and prosecute anyone involved. Moreover, in some states, abortion is classified as a civil law, encouraging ordinary people to act as private investigators, spying on anyone using reproductive health services. That means the, all the parties involved are heavily invested in getting the information about any potential, quote, murder suspect and their accomplices. And that basically means anyone and everyone. So <laughs> with that, um, the rest of tonight's presentation is going to be about your personal risk and things you can do to reduce your exposure. 
but I think it should go without saying that political action matters here too. There's an election coming up in the United States, a national election. And if these matters, you know, if these issues matter to you, I urge you to vote and I urge you to tell your friends and family to vote. And there are ways that we can put legal protections in place that the Supreme Court can't overturn. And we need to do that now before things get worse. Um, and so a little bit of hope on that, you know, we saw, I think it was yesterday, that Missouri voted in um, protections for abortions. Um, we are seeing um, potentially a national law protecting gay marriage. Um, so it is possible for political action to get these protections back, including abortion, um, but it's gonna take real significant work. And frankly, if those laws do come in place, they're not laws that the Supreme Court can overturn because the Supreme Court explicitly said that it was the lack of a law that um, allowed it to make its decision. So let's talk about some things you can do personally to protect yourself. And uh, I talk a lot this series about information, um, location information. Um, and that's because location information is one of the most insidious and get the most valuable pieces of information about a person. Using just location data, it's possible to de-anonymize someone by looking at where they go to work, where they sleep, where they go home, where they spend their free time, whether that's at church, a bar, a club, or with friends. They can use this information to figure out exactly who you are. And that's exactly what these companies uh, uh, like Google do. They look at this data and they figure out where they can estimate approximately what your income is, what you do for work, what your hours are, what your sleep patterns are. And then they sell that to advertisers. Uh, and then, you know, those are essentially data brokers. So they sell that information to anyone who will, per, you know, who will buy it. So the, the, the very scary thing about this, I mean, besides Google themselves, is just how many apps, I mean, these third-party apps, have access to your uh, location data. And that um, also includes period trackers, right? The most um, intimate, maybe, of medical data for many people. Uh, and, of course, with a period tracker, it is not that hard to figure out when someone might be uh, might be pregnant and um, if they have terminated that pregnancy or if that pregnancy has stopped for any reason it would show up and so here we are so they're going to know who you are uh, and in some cases you have to register for these period trackers so they'll know who you are they'll know what your cycle is they'll know if it was interrupted so uh, they're a big, uh, big concern. Um, as are uh, fitness trackers. They're another big area of concern, especially as many uh, fitness trackers also contain thermometers. And that can be used to, to estimate someone's menstrual cycle just by looking at their, their temperature fluctuations. And uh, similar information can be, look, can be determined by looking at someone's weight fluctuations, right? You can take this kind of data and you can estimate when their cycle is. It's not perfect, 
but it can be good enough um, to sell data based on this. So uh, fitness trackers are absolutely scary in how much uh, these um, devices know about you. Another technology that few people think much about um, lives on their phone is their Bluetooth. Bluetooth devices allow for a phone or computer to connect wirelessly and relatively securely to a device. But it's not that security that I'm concerned about. Instead, it's the fact that when a Bluetooth device is active, it can detect other Bluetooth devices around it, such as phones or laptops. That means that if you and your friend both have Bluetooth turned on, your phones can know about each other. And your accelerometer is another part of your phone that you probably don't think much about. It's the part that knows what angle your phone is being held at, or if your phone is moving. And that information can be used in a variety of ways, including gate detection. And gate detection is using the way you walk to identify you. So just using the bounce in your step, that information can, can be used to identify who is holding the phone. So here we are where a company can know your location, know who's around you, and the pace and direction you're moving, and maybe even your gait. And it's easy for companies who know that kind of information, who know who you are and who you're traveling with to, to you know, do very bad things about uh, with this. And again, we, we know that this is not a theoretical problem. This is not a theoretical attack of, oh, one day companies may be able to do this. No, no, no. Facebook has a patent on using your accelerometer and Bluetooth to figure out exactly who you're with at an event. So they have a patent that says we can figure out who someone is with and who their friends are if they're at an event. And the way they do that is by looking at the direction you're walking, the Bluetooth devices that are nearby, and your pace. So if there's a bunch of people and you're all walking in the same direction and you're all in a group, you're probably friends, or at least you know each other. And that's exactly the kind of information that Facebook wants because that's exactly the kind of information that Facebook sells. And I think most of us are already, already aware that a microphone in your pocket is a bad idea. And that applications that can record our conversation like Siri and Google Assistant are also bad. But fewer of us knew, know about other audio applications such as ultrasonic tracking and other cross-device tracking technologies. And these, uh, these technologies are basically embedded advertisements and other data that can come in through videos we watch, uh, audio we listen to, or even, and I'm serious about this, hidden speakers placed around an area. Um, and this can be in stores or in outdoor events. And all these technologies, what they're designed to do is allow a company to identify exactly where your phone is and what you're watching and listening to or where you are even if you're disconnected from the internet. So they're able to locate you even if you're disconnected because the company knows that depending on which signal you got, that will tell them you know, about you and where you were and what you were listening to and standing next to. So uh, there's that. Um, and of course, the things you write in emails, text messages, 
instant messages that you put on websites as comments or whatever, that's all searchable, unless those apps are specifically designed for privacy, and just most aren't. And returning to the issue of whether or not these threats are serious, because we've talked about whether they're theoretical, so let's talk about whether these threats are serious. According to the big tech companies, geofenced warrants are one of the most popular warrants they receive from law enforcement. So what's a geofenced warrant? A geofenced warrant is where they ask, is where a law enforcement agency asks a large company like Google or a phone company for the information about every person in an area, in a geographic region. And in 2020, Google alone, just Google, received 11,500 geofenced warrants. And they were used for a number of purposes, from looking for people who were in an area near, let's say, a robbery, to getting the information of every person and every phone who attended a lawful protest. So whether it's investigating you know, a crime, like in you know, a murder or a robbery, where you might want you know, some kind of information, or whether it's just surveilling peaceful protests, this is the kind of information that uh, is being retrieved from these warrants. And in fact, these warrants are so prevalent and so invasive that even the tech companies themselves are pushing back and they're pushing a law called the Reverse Location Search Prohibition Act. And that, that bill, if it passes, would prevent these kind of uh, warrants. The other weapon that law enforcement uses right now is what's called the reverse keyword warrant. And this looks for anyone who searched for a term. For example, if you were looking up a robbery and you wanted to know who searched for a house on Google Maps, this would catch that. It would also catch anyone who potentially searched for the word abortion or the term birth control. Reverse keyword searches would also be prohibited under the Reverse Location Search Prohibition Act. But again, this is just a bill right now, and we have no idea if it'll go anywhere or how it might be changed. So right now, we have to assume, based on what we know, that these attacks are not only possible, but they are happening, and they are affecting our personal liberties. So with all this scariness, what can you do, and how can you protect yourself and those you care about. And we're going to go through a number of tips that I have to keep yourself safe. And these are just really simple, easy tips. If you use a period tracker app, this is something you're going to want to address right away. I'm going to give you four rules for apps. And that doesn't just apply to period trackers. It applies to all apps. And these four rules will keep you safe. The four rules are the four things to check out for an app are, does your data stay on the device or does it get uploaded to the cloud? Does the device use third-party trackers? And I'll explain more about that in a bit. Does it track things it doesn't need to? And does the company explain who they share their data with? We'll go through all four. Generally, you should look for apps that store your data locally on your phone or your computer rather than in the cloud. And this has advantages and disadvantages. 
you know, like anything else, if you lose your phone, your data is gone. And, uh, you know, that can be a real problem, right? If you lose your phone and you don't have a backup, your data is gone. At the same time, there's no way for the company to steal your data if it stays on your device. And I know cloud applications are a lot more convenient, but if your data is in the cloud, it's left to the company to handle it the way that they want. And that's even scarier. Uh, programs that keep your data on the device tend to cost more money um, unless they're, they're free and open source um, because companies that store your data on the cloud use that information to sell to data brokers and that subsidizes their cost, right? So, um, you know, yeah, maybe they're going to sell it to you for, you know, 99 cents or maybe they'll give it to you for free. But the way they can do that and make money is that these companies are selling your data to, to data brokers. They're spying on you and they're, and they're using that money to subsidize the cost of the app. Third-party trackers are fairly common in application development. They're often bundled with software that is used by app developers to make their program. Um, the downside is that these companies uh, that you know, produce the software that has these third-party trackers, they get access to, to customer data. And uh, Google is probably the most common third-party tracker and their tracker is in a lot of places. That means that it's possible that the app company, the company that you're getting the app from can have a good privacy policy, but if they're using a third party library, it may not matter. If the app company isn't careful, they may not even realize that they're using one of these programs, these libraries themselves, right? So here we are with uh, potentially a company that's not doing anything bad is using a library that has embedded in it one of these trackers. So it doesn't, you know, so it almost doesn't matter. Um, so let's talk about what it looks like when apps uh, track things that they don't need. Have you ever downloaded an app like a flashlight and it says it needs access to your location or it needs access to your phone, um, you know, to, to your, um, your address book? And you think for a second, why does, why does my flashlight need that? And the answer is it doesn't. And that that information is being used to spy on you. So stay away from apps that look that want permission to do things that they shouldn't need to do, right? An, an app that you know is your period tracker really shouldn't be accessing your phone, right? It shouldn't need access to your phone um, unless unless the app has specific photo features. It shouldn't have access to your camera or microphone, right? These are these are these are red flags that you should be looking out for. Um, and lastly, ideally, a company would say exactly what companies they share your data with, either directly or through a data sharing agreement, um, or sometimes through using one of these uh, company services. Um, so, for example, um, in a previous episode, we talked about FetLife. And we know from that FetLife runs on Google's infrastructure. And that means that Google has access to all of FetLife's data, at least in theory they do. And it would be good if FetLife were to disclose that. It would be great if FetLife said, we run on Google 
So be aware of that. But of course, they don't do that. Um, similarly, it would be good for all companies to do that. And I think it should actually be required. Unfortunately, the ones who do disclose this are extremely rare. Um, and I'll tell you that none of the period trackers that I looked at, um, the ones that did store on the cloud, none of them disclosed this information. Um, and then the ones who kept your data locally, they don't need to. So let's talk about some of the worst period trackers, at least privacy-wise. And those are Olivia, Baby Center, Flow, My Calendar, and Clue. And they're all a bit different in terms of what exactly they do wrong. Some require you to register with your real name, others don't. Some share your information with researchers, others don't. All of them, all of them share your information with advertisers. Clue is the only one of these that also encrypts your information, at least on the device and possibly on the cloud. Um, so of the bad period trackers, Clue is the least bad of the bad ones. So let's talk about the alternatives. And there are alternatives. And uh, all of the ones I'm listing here, they don't share your data on the cloud. And uh, the only downside here is that some of them aren't very polished. And frankly, I think most of them are for Android only. But if you have an Android device, Drip, Yuki, Lady Cycle, Periodical, and Lady 28 all work without the data leaving, leaving your phone. Again, it's not being put on the cloud, it's not being sold really, really important. So if you if you can, you know, and you're comfortable doing so, try one of these out. It's my recommendation. If you're using a fitness tracker or frankly, any kind of app um, for health and fitness data, um, Apple and Google work a little differently. Um, and you can search the web for their privacy setting and learn how to lock them down a bit. But essentially, uh, you want to enable two-factor authentication. You want to remove any old or unused apps. And you want to lock down any permissions on either uh, Google or app Apple's apps, such as location tracking. And once you've done that, you're better off. Um, there's a lot more about you know, both Google and Apple's health data, um, but it's fairly complicated, and I didn't think we were going to have time to do it um, tonight. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about location tracking. Location tracking is a big topic. I've mentioned it a bunch of times tonight. And it's especially important as it relates to reproductive health. In fact, it's such a big issue that even Google has promised to delete location data of people who go near clinics offering abortions. That's just how serious they recognize the threat to be. Sadly, there's nothing you can do to protect yourself without turning your phone off completely. Um, because as the phone itself works, um, location, your location is tracked. But there are some steps you can take to uh, make it a little bit more challenging. Um, you can turn off location services for apps that don't need them. So, you know, if an app doesn't need permission for your location, it shouldn't have it. And uh, you should turn off location tracking on both Apple and Google. Um, specifically on Google, you need to know that you can't just turn it off by turning off location on the phone. You need to do it by logging into your account on the website 
and um, selecting location tracking, clear your history and turn off location tracking. You can't do it just by turning off location tracking on the phone. You have to do it on their website. We did an entire episode on web browsers and web browsing, um, but I'm going to go a step further here. Uh, and while I think you should go and listen to that episode, I think if you're in a state where abortion is not legal and you're looking up information on reproductive health rights, you need to be using the Tor web browser for your searches. And absolutely under no circumstances should you sign into any web service like Google or Facebook or Twitter or Apple. Um, now, using Tor is not trivial. It's not super, super easy. And it, yes, it's slower than normal web browsing and it may not feel as good, but for sensitive information like this, I think it's really crucial. When talking to friends or family about sensitive topics, or frankly, any topic, use secure communication channels. You want to reduce the exposure you have about talking about something that could be incriminating later. So, for example, if you're talking to someone about maybe helping them get a legal abortion, um, or frankly, you know, in this crazy climate of the United States right now, we don't know what could be illegal. So my recommendation is always use secure communication channels when possible. Always use secure communication channels. It'll also make it harder for someone to know when it's something bad, quote unquote, because you're always using the secure communication. So if you're talking to someone about abortion or anything potentially sensitive, whether that's health, whether that's kink or sex, any or legal, please, please use a secure communication system. Use encrypted email, use secure instant messengers, use secure communication methods. In conclusion, this is a scary time for privacy. With the erosion of reproductive and bodily autonomy, our concern and need to take matters into our own hands has gone up tenfold. While we've seen some movements ensuring gay marriage at the federal level and other rights, including, uh, sorry, other rights, including contraception, are being threatened. Alongside those rights, our basic right to privacy is being reduced to ash. We need political change at every level, and we need to take personal precautions seriously. For newcomers, we've talked about a number of issues that we were able to only touch on briefly. But we've talked about these issues before in this series. So I urge you, if this is your first time, turn, you know, go back to episode two, where we talked about using a second phone. Go to episode three, where we talked about using VPNs and Tor. Go to episode five, where we talked about web browsers. And we talked about reading privacy policies in episode 16. So that will give you quite a lot of information. Uh, that'll be a good background for, for all of this and will you know, help fill in some of the gaps from that we, that we talked about tonight. But the most important thing is that we're all in this together and we can make it through together. So with that, um, I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, uh, break for sponsorship because this, uh, this series is uh, put on by David Kinky, and then I will uh, answer questions that anyone has. So let's, uh, let's uh, 
pay the bills, as it were. Um, but, you know, to be serious, this series, Keeping Secrets, it wouldn't be possible without the support of Dane Kinky. Um, Dane Kinky has been incredibly supportive to me in helping get this information out to you. So now, now that they've helped me get this information out to you, I'm going to talk to you about their offering, Dating Kinky Plus, and why I think Dating Kinky Plus is a great deal. So if you're here, you're listening to me, presumably you care about things like reproductive rights and you care about things like kink education. And whether it's this series on privacy or tonight's talk on reproductive rights, or maybe it's fun things like, you know, rope and flogging and fire play, or maybe it's soft skills like how to be a better, a better dominant or a better submissive or relationship skills like how to listen better, how to understand yourself better, how to understand your mental health better, non-monogamy skills or more. You know, if you care about these things, if you care about this series and you wanna learn more, you, know, you wanna learn more about the world, about kink, about yourself, well, that's where Dating Kinky Plus comes in. Dating Kinky has tons of webinars, just like this one, that you can watch and listen to at your leisure. Their library of kink education material has over 400, and I think it's closer to five or 600 now. Hours, hours of material on so many topics, like being a newbie in the scene, power exchange, communication, non-monogamy, mental health, neurodiversity, as well as this series, this series on privacy. Joining Dating Kinky Plus also gives you access to books like The Big Book of Ass, FLR, Femdom, and Women in Charge, and Next Stop, O-Town. You'll also get access to additional features in the Dating Kinky app so you can find someone to connect with. With all of this amazing content, it's easy to overlook the fact that there's a dating part of Dating Kinky. So to reiterate, you'll get access to tons of educational material, books, Dating Kinky app features, and more. And right now, at the as of the time of this recording, it's only $9.99 US dollars a month, which really isn't a lot when you consider just how much you're getting, because you're getting access to all the books, all the live events, all the previously recorded events, and that's only 10 bucks a month. But, but if you sign up for six months or a year, you'll save 40% on that $10 a month. So that makes it go from a good deal to an incredible deal. And beyond that, beyond all the benefits, you're showing that you support kink education, and specifically that you support me that you support keeping secrets with Virkoto because you care about kink education and privacy. So with that, I'm going to open it up for questions. I want to put up the, I'm putting up the, uh, the URL. So if you're not familiar with the series, you can go to datingkinky.com slash keeping secrets, and you can browse through all of our previous shows. Um, and I think, I think it's 16, 17 shows, something like that. Um, so quite a lot. And uh, you, we go into a lot more depth into topics. So you can do some pretty cool deep dives um, and you can keep up with where we are. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're going. So with that, I am going to scroll through 
the uh, the chat and um, and see what kind of questions folks have. If you've got a question or a thought that you want to share, please put it in the chat and I will um, address it. So here we go. All right. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Sorry, this is the boring part where I have to go read everything. So dun, dun, dun. Um, so John, the author says, yes, this is happening now. I write compliance and regulatory documentation for the world's second largest company. All of this is real. Yeah. I mean, John, I, I really feel like, you know, this, this threat that we're in is, um, often overlooked, right? This is the kind of stuff that when I was a kid, it was this dystopian science fiction stuff. And I think a lot of people are still in the, this is a dystopian science fiction that Beer's concerned about, but it's not, it's just real life. So I'm, I'm glad that we're all here and we can all talk about this because it is serious. And I think, you know, with just how much of it we have around us, a lot of us have just lost sight. Um, it's like we've forgotten, we've collectively forgotten what privacy looks like and, what pri and why privacy is important. So thank you for joining us um, to talk about this tonight. Uh, yes, there was an information uh, session around cybersecurity done by the ACLU as well. You know, Gray, I would uh, love to to um, to see that. You know, in fact, Gray, if you, you don't happen to be the same, uh, yeah, you know, probably not the same Gray. There's probably more than one uh, they them Gray um, because I know another Gray that also does uh, privacy talks. So. Um, so Grace says, North Carolina has a bill that proposes it's okay to, quote, defend the life of a fetus against abortion, even by using guns. Well, that's that's really scary. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and me says, not just Americans. A lot of countries are waking up after the overturn and realizing that reproductive rights aren't as solidified in their countries as they should be. So even if you're not American, demand actions from your government, too. And I think that's a great point. Um, unless, unless we actively defend these rights, those who make the most noise are going to win. And that's what we've seen right now. And it is really, really scary. Uh, Gray says, if you want to keep up to date with the United States stuff, ACLU and move on are definitely helpful. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also add the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF for EFF.org, um, is an amazing resource. And, uh, 100% would share that, and I would specifically look at their um, uh, self-defense guide. It's it's one of the best guides for simple actions that you can take to protect your privacy online. Okay, a lot of people are talking about how scary, and, and I agree with everyone. I'm just not I'm just not going to read out. Oh, this is scary. This is terrible. Um, I think we can all agree this is ter scary and terrible. Um, Limiting apps on your phone and limiting their access to info is helpful. I agree with you in 100%, uh, Gray. Uh, Rumi says, I've left Facebook, but of course, Instagram is owned by Facebook. That's a really good point. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. Uh, Gray says, yeah, you just have to be careful with how much you share anywhere. I mean, the FBI wires homes when someone is a suspect. Even when you email yourself pictures, those aren't safe. They're safer if you purchase or use a free version of an encrypted email account. That's how websites like Is Anyone Up got a lot of their content. 
no, nothing is ever free. What about apps that would need access for their functions? So I'm, there's kind of two parts to this, um, and then I'm going to ask for clarification, Greg. Um, so yeah, there was uh, a series on Netflix, and I'm in the middle of it, um, which is, uh, I think it's called The Most Hated Man on the Internet. It's basically about this revenge porn site and how um, people were using it to steal uh, pictures, mostly of uh, women, and uh, use it to ridicule them blackmail them, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, 100%, I couldn't agree with you more that this is a real concern. And uh, yeah, absolutely paying for um, an encrypted email account is a good idea. Um, so then you ask, what about apps that would need access for their function? Um, and I, I'd like to understand that question a little bit more. So if you wouldn't mind, um, if you wouldn't mind giving uh, me a little bit more detail, that'd be great. Um, so, uh, Gray, I, I see you raised your hand, but um, I'm going to ask that you put it in the chat. Um, I mean, I think it'll just be easier. Um, so, uh, and then Gray asked, I have to ask, does the app have any of the four red flags? Which, I'm sorry, I don't know which app, so it's hard for me to answer that question. Okay. Currently going through my fret live to delete, delete, delete since Google is involved. Yeah, great. So since you're, you seem a little technical, um, so uh, FetLife, and you should go check out the, we did an entire episode analyzing FetLife. Um, FetLife 100% uses the uh, Google um, app infrastructure. Um, so, it, and, I, and I mean, this is speculative, so I shouldn't say 100%, but I know for certain that some portions of that life are handled by email. And so, for example, we know for a fact that their email is. Um, and then there's some other hints that tell us that they're running on Google's infrastructure. Um, and then Sarah Lynn says, isn't it too late once it's posted on FetLife? Internet is forever and Google never forgets. You know, it's a great, that's a great point, right? So um, I, think, I think we have to take this in two parts, Sarah Lynn. So the first is, you know, is information ever lost? Well, we can't we can't assume it is, right? We can't assume that we can that we can clean up after the fact. But what we can do, and I think we have to do, is change our behaviors now going forward, right? So we can't know whether or not something we deleted is ever gone. Um, but we can do is we can say, well, from from today on, they're not going to get any more. Um, and I think that's you know that's the best we can do. It's it's. Look, it's a lot like our health, right? Um, you know, I think a lot of people would like to change the past, and we can't. But we can, we can try our best going forward. That's just life. So let's try to do that. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. John says Meta just got uh, Meta just got sued today for giving an app to hospitals that harvest thousands of medical information and send it to Facebook. Well, that's, that's terrible. Uh, and then Grace says, not deleting account, but deleting anything. I don't want to be used against me. Well, that's a good idea. Um, Hera, uh, thanks, Hera, for joining us. Uh, Rumi says, if, if only life could revert back to actually talking in pen writing, keep the phone at home. We will be in trouble if people had surgery to insert A, B, or C into the, the phone's head. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Sarah Lynn says, I've known for a while that the privacy laws have been scant, but is there any chance of, me, of them being written? Or is that an impossible dream? Well, Sarah Lynn, you know, it's funny you ask that because I think depending on where you live, we do have, uh, we do have examples of countries that have better privacy laws. So Europe has far better privacy laws than the United States does, far better. Um, and in fact, the GDPR, which is the European law on privacy, actually punishes U.S. companies because it considers the U.S. kind of a, a privacy funhouse. Um, California's privacy laws are better than most United States, although they're not as good as, Euro as Europe's. Um, Canada's laws are not quite as good um, as, as California, but they're better than the United States. So, um, you know, the, the real answer is, look, I think it is possible. I think it is possible to to get these laws changed. Um, but I think we have to we have to show that we care. And the way we do that is by telling our public officials, we care about this. We want you to take action here um, and uh, pushing. Because look, I didn't think I didn't think they'd be able to overturn an abortion, right? And they were able to do that. So why can't we do this? Um, the dating kinky app, you know, Cosmopolite, um, we did, we did an entire episode with, um, with Nookie, um, about dating kinky and privacy. And so I would totally check that episode out. I know I'm like, oh, go back and listen to this old episode. But, um, I think that's just kind of what happens after a while. You're like, oh, we covered this. So, uh, check that episode out and, uh, hopefully it'll answer your questions. Um, Yeah. So what about apps like Waze that need location data, Sarah Lynn says, need location data to function? Is it time to old school with paper maps or only for super sensitive travel? It's a great question. Um, so here's, um, here's what I am uh, going to say. Oh, there's, is there another Vir Koto? It's an interesting. Oh, okay. Um, so what about apps like Waze? Um, you know, this is tricky, right? Uh, obviously an app like Waze or Google Maps needs location services to, to function. There are offline map applications. Um, you should, you know, we can talk about that. Maybe we should do an entire, um, you know, that'll be maybe part of our grab bag episode. Right, but there are offline map applications. They're not, they don't tend to be as good because they won't know about things like traffic accidents, right? And they may not be as up to date, but you can use real, you know, regular computer maps with on your phone. Um, you won't have to go back to, you know, the paper that you fold up in front of the windscreen, uh, the windshield, you know. But yeah, um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. It's definitely tricky. Um, yeah, um, okay. Would love to hear more about uh, offline map apps. I think we should do, I think we should do a grab bag episode coming soon and just, just kind of talk about the various things that I think people want uh, to hear about. But they're, they're, they're not like, I can't do a full episode on, you know, maps, I think that'd be boring. But, you know, if we did like a little bit on maps, a little bit on location tracking, a little bit on phones, a little bit on this, a little bit on that, that might be, and we could, we could, we could probably do that. I think that might be a fun idea. Um, 
Just remember that this goes for attachment to the plug into your car and those don't usually have a lock or encryption. Not 100% sure what, what's, what you're thinking there, John, Gray, but um, yeah. So I see folks are typing, so I'm gonna let folks type and uh, try to answer a few more questions. Um, in terms of other things that people might want to go to, um, Dating Kinky is also running a class uh, on uh, September 1st. Is that, wait, is that today? No. So, sorry, September 1st. So about a month away uh, on inclusivity in negotiations, neurodiversity, and mental health. And that's a topic that I care a lot about. Um, I've talked about this in person. I've talked about this on podcasts. Uh, neurodiversity is a really, uh, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. So um, I hope that that will be a good event and I recommend uh, folks go to it. Yeah, um, Cousin Paula, you know, it'd be great if you emailed me because um, my memory is crap. Um, so if you could email me either in an email or FetLife, that would be amazing. And that would just help me. Um, remember this. <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. Oh, I see. Uh, yes, Gray, I, I totally get it now. Um, all right, people are still writing. So uh, we're kind of slowly winding down here. I want to, in the meantime, thank you all. Oh, so here we go. Gray says, I am not a cybersecurity educator, just to, just retained a decent amount from the ACLU seminar. We probably don't know each other. Okay. Um, yeah, there, I think, I think, uh, I think multiple, I think there are multiple grays in the world. Um, so let's see here. What event did someone else post? Uh, Oh right, yes, cousin Paul. That that would be a really good. Uh, that was that was the other topic. Um, I think we should we should think about that. Um, I'm gonna try to plan that for maybe six months from now. I know that sounds like a long time away, but we already have uh, three months of classes. Speaking of which, thank you for reminding me that next month is um, essentially starting out. So how do you start out? You've got your uh, you're concerned about your privacy. You want to start from scratch or you want a good reminder of where to begin. Um, that's what next month will be about. And that is on September 1st. That's uh, okay. I'm not sure how that can be September 1st. And I'm September 1st. But, oh, I think it's after, let me check. Yes, sorry, so right after this event. So good reason to come to this next month, because you'll get you'll get keeping secrets, and then you'll get untangled. So how how cool is that? Like how good is that? What what a lineup! Um, all right. Um, do I think that the majority of apps have traded off their value of sorts by allowing third parties to take their data? And if so, would there be other options for apps to work with instead? You know, Rumi, that's a that's more of a theoretical question. I mean, it's a good it's a very good question. It's a really good question. The question, and I think it's, I don't think I can answer it though, right? Um, obviously these companies are doing it for a bunch of reasons. I think a lot of these companies, they don't even know, right? 
you know, when you're an app developer, your business is, you know, make an app, sell it, get it quick, get it out to market, you know, get a bunch of sales. And, you know, maybe they can do it themselves, but that's going to add precious development time. And when you're selling an app for 99 cents or, you know, you're selling it based on advertising, you know, that's expensive, right? So if you said, well, let's add another six months to our development time, it's a, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah, I, it's just, it is about priorities, right? So I can't really answer you um, because I don't have a good answer. I'd like to answer you, but I can't give you a good answer. All right, so we'll do a couple more questions if there are any more. Um, so we'll do two, maybe three questions max, uh, and then we'll we'll stop. Um, so me too is is typing. John is typing, um, and and Gray is typing. So we'll do those are the last three, uh, and then we'll stop. Oh, thank. Thank you, me too. Ah, the cat was typing. Well, it's an insightful cat. My cat types too sometimes. All right, well, thanks everyone. I'm gonna stop the recording.